Hey, um, did I tell you that uh, Utah County is going backwards in the COVID thing? What? No, I haven't been watching that. What's going on? So we were at yellow where, you know, I think it goes green, yellow, orange, red. Mm -hmm. So we were at yellow, but then when the schools, all the universities started, started to go back to school, everybody started partying and like, you know, not social distancing. And so Utah County is now where I live is now back to orange. And they said, if these schools don't get their act together, that they're going to cancel the school, cancel schools and go all online. So man, I, I mean, is this going to be like indefinite? I mean, is this crap going to just keep going and going and going? You know, like, I mean, it sounds like this is going to be like forever, you know? Yeah, it, it it's like, it's weird. It's really weird. Like, I used to think like when they were telling us to wear masks in, in stores and stuff, I would be like, oh, it's okay. I'll just run in really quick and not wear it. Now it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot my mask. I have to go back to the car and get it. And then like, nobody is like, everybody has a mask. Nobody has like, you know, just a regular face out, you know? Yeah, that's how it is in Los Angeles. It, I mean, everybody, like, even when you're getting gas, people are wearing them all over Los Angeles. They're good. Uh, they're really good about it. Um, so, but, but again, it's hand washing. You know, it's, it's, there's so much more than just the mask. The mask helps people, you know, if they're sick, you know, and, and, you know, or they're really prone to be sick. But it's like, you know, I think that the argument, like, I know we talked about before is like, the people are, are like, well, you're protecting me. You know, mm-hmm. have a right to go out. I get it, but it's like ugh, it's just so hard, you know. But yeah, that's crazy. A lot of states, I um, I know, I just didn't know Utah was one of them is going backwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least at least my county is like Utah County is going backwards. Actually, I think no, I think Salt Lake County. I think Salt Lake is in the yellow, so I think we're the only ones going backwards. But anyways, okay. So we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. So as promised, we are going to tell the Danny Yule story. Actually, I shouldn't say it's the Danny Yule story. I should, I should say it's the Yule family murders. Yes. Okay. Um, because this shouldn't be about Dana. Um, this was a tragic event that happened to Dana's family. Mm-hmm. And it was senseless. It was totally senseless. So do you want me to start? Do you want to start? Like what? Where do you want to go with this? Well, um, yeah, just, um, yeah, no, go ahead and you get it started and then I'll just kind of, you know, off the hip, I'll shoot off the hip. Okay. So this happened on Sunday, April 19th, 1992. So it was right around, um, Easter. It was two days after Easter and, um, the Yule family was made up of Dale, Glee, Tiffany, and Dana. And Dana and Tiffany were siblings, and Dale and Glee were married. Um, They lived in Fresno, California, and they had decided for the weekend they were going to take a vacation to the beach. So they went over to the beach and just had, like, Easter Sunday, you know, like dinner and, you know, just just a family gathering and stuff. So everybody was there. Um, And when they actually... Tiffany decided to come home a little early. Okay. So let me back up. Let me back up before I get into it. So let me tell you about, let me tell you about Dale and Glee. So, okay. So Dale, um, Dale grew up like in Ohio and it was during like the great depression. So he was always like a hard worker and he knew the value of a dollar and he, built his fortune by 
by selling airplanes. So he got into the airplane business. He got his, uh, his license. He flew planes. He sold them. Um, and that's how he made his money. And then he would, after that, he would invest in like the stock market and invest in purchasing farms. And he just made a lot of money in the nineties. Yeah. He was self-made. Yeah. Yeah. His wife, Glee, she, she was in the CIA. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I first heard this story, I kind of felt some connection to her. And, and I think the reason I felt this connection was because my father was in the CIA, CIA also, she was in the CIA. Um, they were about the same age. Like I just had some connections. Plus we were all from the same area in California. Right. Mm -hmm. So this, so it really interested me. Okay. So anyways, so one day they decided to go over to the beach. They had this nice little, you know, gathering with the family and Tiffany drove back home. When she got home, as soon as she entered the house, um, there was an intruder in the house and the intruder shot her in the back of the head as soon as she walked in. Yeah. She was the daughter of uh, Dowling Glee. Yeah. Yes. She was the daughter and she was, Tiffany was 24 when this happened. So young. She was beautiful too. So young. <laughs> so young. And she had, she was graduate. She had graduated from Fresno state um, in accounting. Just that she had like her whole life ahead of her, you know? Mm-hmm. And then anyways, um, hours later, and I can't remember how late it was, but hours later, that's when um, Dale walked in the house and he walked in the house and immediately was shot. Um, Glee went in and Glee was shot also. Now Glee sustained the worst injuries out of everybody. It was like over overwhelming. Like she was shot in the heart. She was shot in the face. She was, she was shot multiple times. And because of how she was faced up, she, when she was shot, um, she saw her killer. So she fell backwards and had her arm covering her face. I'm wondering if she ran, like she kind of like tried to get away, you know, that's why she got shot more. Like she wouldn't die right away. Yeah. Interesting. We'll never know. huh? (laughs) We will never know. Well, yeah. Right. So anyways, so, um, it was, it was like a day or two later. I think it was a day later when the housekeeper, um, went to the house, went in, and she immediately saw Tiffany on the floor. Yeah, she was in the kitchen, right? She was, yeah. And at that point, she left the house, and she called the police and told them what had happened. And the police came to the house, and then at that point, they noticed that it wasn't just Tiffany, that it was Dale and Lee. And... So they knew that, you know, they knew that there was a killer on the loose and they needed to find him or her, but I'm not going to get to that until later. (laughs) And anyways, (laughs) anyways, Mm -hmm. so, so they were at the beach. So the beach is probably like maybe like two hours from Fresno and that's where they were. Um, Tiffany drove, Glee and Dale flew their plane um, Dana actually didn't go back to the house. He went back to school. He was going to school at Santa Clara University and up in the Bay Area. And so he went back to school. So then he got word that this had happened, that, that his parents had been murdered. So then he hightailed it to Fresno. Um, and at that point, that's when things started getting a little weird. Um. Do you have any comments or do you want me to keep going? Yeah, no, it's, it, it just, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think just, it, it just kind of unfolds to be like, you know, now you got to start looking at suspects and, you know, it's, I guess it's just, it's pretty typical, you know, um, you know, the people who are alive are the ones they're going to check out, you know? So um, it, I don't know. It just, it, it's just bizarre. So go, go ahead and, and, and finish. Okay. So, so, what they did is they called 
obviously the only survivor, which was Dana. And they called him in and they, you know, were interviewing him, asking him who would have done this to your family. The other weird part about the whole situation was, is when they went in and they noticed that the bodies were there, they did notice that the house looked like it had been ransacked. Like drawers were open, things were thrown on the floor, but there was nothing really missing. I mean, there was jewelry, there was money in there, there was guns, there was, you know, there was like all these things that could have been stolen, but nothing was stolen. Like it was done on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so obviously they asked, you know, is there anybody that would have wanted to hurt your family? And at that point, Dana brings up the fact that um, his father did have enemies. And I guess his father was, like I said, he was a hard worker. And he expected the same out of everybody. You know, he expected, you know, you need to work as hard as I am if you're going to be successful, you know. So he treated everybody well, but he was hard because he did grow up during the Depression, you know. So I don't know. He just had a different mentality. Okay. He was very well liked. And then there was also the fact that Glee was in the CIA, you know, and so yeah, they brought up use that as, as like a, uh, oh yeah, my mom, you know, she also had, you know, people who wanted her. Exactly. Exactly. So they actually investigated both Dale and Glee. Like they, they were like, okay, so, you know, it could be either one. It could be somebody that had a beef with them, like way back when, you know, so they investigated, you know, and there was a couple people that could have been, you know, possible like, oh, well, that person really did hate him, you know, but they had looked into all these leads and they weren't coming up with anything, you know. Right. And, 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 and again, it's, it's investigating and digging and, and didn't they, I think there was a part in, in the book and, and, and on TV, cause this all came out, you know, was it cold case files and American, um, was it criminal or what? what was oh, that? it's no. been on cold case what? files. It's been on Dominic Dunn. It's been on tons Bill, of shows. Yeah. Bill Curtis. Didn't he do one too? Bill yes. Curtis. And so, uh, yeah, that the, somebody got into the house and was able to obviously wait for them to come in to kill them, like light and wait, you know, or they call it lie and wait. And how did they get in? And didn't they say there was no forced entry? Yes. There, so there was no forced entry. So at that point, they're like, okay, was this a plan thing or, you know. Yeah. Who had the code to the alarm? Exactly. That exactly. Had to do a lot of, that had to dig. It all came together like a puzzle, though. And I have to say the investigators did an amazing job. They did. It did take a while for them to catch them, the, the killers. But, I mean, they eventually did. Yeah. So, anyways. So, they did find out that Dana was the sole heir of the the Yule fortune because yeah, him the, and his sister would have been if the parents didn't survive. So his sister being gone, he's the sole heir now. Yes. Right. So the Yules had a lot of money. I mean, they're they had at least eight million in the bank. So plus the house and the cars and the airplanes and the business, you know. So there was a lot of money involved in the family. And Dana had always grown up very privileged. Um, he was always given, like, he knew how to fly airplanes. He, um, he would, his family, like, bought him a Mercedes in high school to drive around. And then I, I remember one of the, you know, Dana crashed his Mercedes. And his family didn't want to be embarrassed by it. So his dad went out and bought him the exact same model, <laughs> you know. Same color. Nice. <laughs> I know, right? That's just so nobody could tell. But you know, I, I I noticed one thing that really popped out is that he was one of those kids that he would show off his dad's money quite a bit. He liked everything flashing. Wouldn't he wear like a suit and a briefcase to college, like to class? He would campus? wear that to high school too. Oh gosh. <laughs> so uh -huh. he would wear Armani suits to high school. Like <laughs> And he would flash $100 bills. Well, Dana had an allowance. Okay, this was 1992. Okay, think back to 1992. Um, I would say a good allowance would be like, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks a month, you know? <laughs> Dana's allowance monthly, monthly was $800 in 1992. Oh, typical rich kid. Yeah, typical rich kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he started talking about how Dana had lots of pictures with him in planes and he started talking about like 
how he owned a plane dealership. Like he, he sold airplanes. Yeah. He was bragging, but this wasn't him. This was his father. So when his father found out about this, Dale cut him off. He was like, "Uh uh-uh. I, because Dale worked hard. He was a hard worker. He worked for everything he had. Yeah. So the fact that Dana was going around saying, oh yeah, look at this. Look at, you know, look at my business. Like, yeah. Did not sit well with them. Yeah. So his dad was obviously very upset about that. Um, You know, most people, you know, normal people, I guess you could say, would say, hey, it's my parents' money. You know? Right. Um, You know, I live well because my parents, you know, it's not mine forever, (laughs) you know, till I inherit it. (laughs) Right. And he, I remember he would even, he would even like sometimes like hire a limo to take him to school. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like who does that? <laughs> Dana. Dana Yule. Dana, he liked the large life. He liked to flash. He obviously, you know, nerd alert, you know, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it, it buys friends, it buys popularity. Unfortunately, um, in this world that you buy a lot when you have a lot, you know, and he gave that appearance. And, but, you know, my first thing is right away, you know, if, you know, hearing it on the news, back in the day would be like who always has to gain when somebody is murdered mm-hmm. somebody who has to gain the money so that right away everything started going in his direction but they had to prove it exactly exactly so i remember in the book it talked about how when they were like asking him questions like the police officers and the detectives and everything he didn't appear to be upset and it didn't seem right. It didn't sit right with even family members. You know, he seemed more concerned about like the reading of his parents' will. Yeah, I uh, yeah he he didn't he didn't act like a normal person would when they tell you your parents did. They said that matter of fact at the murder scene um, after they had removed the bodies, there was I guess brain matter and blood in different areas of the house that he just walked over it like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. It was just like he, he, there was nothing, you know, uh, weird to him about it. Most people would not even want to be in the same house, even though he had to take care of business. It was like, it didn't even phase him. But I, I think the thing is, is just to kind of keep, you know, our listeners on, on, on cue, the story leads up to, to, to so much to that. It sparked such an interest in Olivia you that <laughs> she end up going um not just you know learning about the story but going as far as to meeting him and uh, and you know talking to the this man who you know potentially was being investigated for his murder of his parents okay so we'll get so, we'll get to that okay, we'll bit. get to there but just to keep you it's coming it's coming so it's coming <laughs> okay so anyways um you're right so Dana, when, when this happened, like Dana did not have the carpet changed in the house for like months. Like he was like living in his parents' house and their house was paid for. So of course it would go to Dana. You know, he was the only living, you know, anyway. He didn't even marry them. No. And I remember one of his friends saying he didn't clean up. Like. He, his friend was like uncomfortable yeah, with there being blood over, on the carpet. Yeah, pieces of carpet missing and then blood, you know, on the wall still. And just, it, it was just bizarre. And, and didn't the uncle say that when they went to go read the will, they read out in the will that they had left him money in increments over like 10 years, like his 20th birthday, his 30th birthday, his 40th birthday. Yes. Him all at once. And he slammed down his fist. He did. And his uncle was like, what? You know, like, I mean, why would you need it all anyways? You're, they're thinking about your future, you yeah. know? So, but he, it became all about green. And so that's when the family started turning around and being like, uh, we think he might have something to do with this. He's acting a little odd. And didn't he go partying on a houseboat that weekend too? He probably, I think he did. Yeah. I don't remember that, but I'm pretty yeah. sure he did. But yeah, it was, so Dana was 22 at the time and he wasn't supposed to get his first, like, part of the inheritance until he was 25 and so it was it was like oh my gosh he he has a couple (laughs) years before he's gonna get that money so he's like what and I remember he slammed his fist down and he said why would my family do this to me and that sparked like you said uh you know wait a minute like that that didn't seem right 
you know. Yeah, no, no normal person's gonna do that. You no. Know, no yeah, he 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 was pointing all so much, you know. Again, because it was green, he was being greedy. So, um, but yeah, it gets better. It gets better because, um, you know, he in in his mind, you know, it, he's it, it's going. It, it, he's convinced he didn't kill his parents, and right. technically, he did. He didn't. You know. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so detectives began to, like, dig around, you know. They were like, okay, let's let's check this, this guy out, you know. Um, they found out that, you know, they interviewed people. They went to, like, teachers and, like, they talked to friends and, you know, to find out what kind of guy he was. And then that's when they found out that he was this lavish guy who liked to flaunt his money, you know. Anyways, um, so... When he left home and went to Santa Clara, he, he did have a BMW. He did wear those designer clothes. He, he wore a suit to class, you know, he carried a briefcase, you know, he did all this stuff. Um, he became friends with a guy named Joel Radovich. Okay. Um, now I still have not figured out the connection. Like Dana was this very extroverted, outgoing, friendly guy who was just so nice joel on the other hand was very introverted quiet shy loner you know dark 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 yeah he was that it didn't it didn't to me seeing those two people it didn't seem like they would be friends yeah it was a polar opposite polar opposite but they were best friends in college and they met in college like that. They how both about, went to Santa Clara University. Yeah, how many years they were they friends? How many years were they friends before up to the murders? Do you know? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't think it was very long. It might not have been. It might not right. have been. But but right. but I have to tell you, Dana has this magnetic personality that like draws people in. And right. so I can see Joel being totally drawn into Dana. Well, of course, you know, he's got money, too. He's got money. He flies planes. Joel always wanted to learn how to fly. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, he wouldn't want to be friends with, you know, someone who flies planes and does all neat, takes neat vacations and stuff. I mean, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's almost like I feel like Dana sought him out in a sense. I totally agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So Joel had some mental, some mental issues. Joel had a very traumatic childhood. And because of that traumatic childhood, I feel like Joel was a prime, like a a prime target, you know, like very vulnerable, very vulnerable. And I don't know. Anyways. Okay. So, (laughs) um, so they became really good friends. Not long after that, um, Dana recruited Joel to commit the murders. And in return, Dana would pay Joel, um, I think I think it was like $3 million or something like that, to kill Tiffany Dale and Glee. And... He had an alibi. He had a perfect alibi. He did. He did. Um, Fresno was really far away. I would say Fresno from Santa Clara is probably like at least three hours. You know, Um, Joel was from Los Angeles and um, he was going to school in the Bay Area. Fresno was in the middle. So I feel like I feel like nobody would have connected Joel, you know, to the crime. He had no, he had no um, connection to Fresno. He had no connection to that part of California. Yeah. No motive. He had no motive. Yeah. He had no motive, no connection, no nothing. So anyway, so Dana, while he was in college, had a girlfriend and um, they were very serious. They were planning on getting married, you know, Um, her father was in the FBI. And um, the day that this happened, he was at the beach, left the beach to go 
back up to the to the Bay Area. And that night, him and his girlfriend had dinner with her father, who was the FBI agent. So he wasn't there at that time, right? No. No, no, no. He wasn't at that Fresno house, basically. No, he was not. No, he was in the Bay Area having dinner with an FBI agent. Mm -hmm. Perfect alibi. Perfect alibi, right? Right. So, anyways. So, what had happened was Joel had showed up to the house, and obviously he knew the code to the house to get in. Yeah, because Danny gave it to him. Yeah. So, he gave him the code, and Joel had made a homemade silencer and Joel had been the one that actually killed them in the house. Yeah. Didn't he like shave his body or something? He, he did. He shaved his whole body. So there would be no DNA. Hair. No DNA. Right? No DNA would be found. No hair. He had his silencer. Um, what car yeah, did, so- did he, did he ever tell you what car he used or? Well, he had like a little CRV. I think it was. Um, okay. So he did drive his own car. I believe he did, but I, but like you said, like even if they would have known, like nobody would have like right. Nobody saw it because it was he'd been there probably hours before. Yes, so yeah. weird to think when we drove by that house, you know, on the way to the airport to know. I actually took some of my family members by the house where it happened. Mm-hmm. Like this is where that book and that 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 TV show <laughs> you know, happened, <laughs> and of course we're not too far, you know, from Scott Peterson's house either, you know, mm-hmm. AC Peterson either. So it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, go on. Okay. So, anyways, um, so Dana was like, you know, let me give you the kind of relationship that Dana had with his girlfriend. So his girlfriend was going to go to law school. She's going to be this big lawyer. Um, her name was Monica. Um, she's actually a lawyer, practicing lawyer in the Bay Area. Um, he paid for her. He bought her a new car. He paid for her law school tuition. Um, you know, like he just was like lavishing her with all this money, you know. Um, so anyways, they they ended up they ended up um finding more about Dana, out, um, you know, checking out his alibi and um, realizing, okay, he was with an FBI agent. He he would testify in court. He's a great boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, so, so then they started, like, following him and tailing him and noticing that he was hanging out with Joel. And then they had pagers back then. Back then, nobody they, put the cell phones. They had the pagers. They did. They had these pagers, you know, and they they had cloned his pager. So anytime that Dana got a text from somebody, or not a text, but a like a number, I guess that's a text, right? Like a yeah, it would be like yeah. Well, it would come up in a text form, but a number, yeah. He would it would be Joel. It would be Joel. So they connected Joel and Dana together. And then they were like, wait a minute, what are these two, why are these two friends? Like completely different people, totally different lifestyles. Joel was kind of like aloof and he kind of like, he was very like t-shirt jeans kind of guy. And then you had Dana who was like suits and like money and, you know, it was just weird. Anyways, um, so they started following Joel and they realized that Joel and Dana had this really weird relationship they would go to Dana's uh, dorm room and they would be like, hey, let's talk, you know, and they uh, they brought up the name Joel. And at that point, Dana kind of like I remember the detective said that he was like, white. he turned white and he was like, like, how do you know that, you know, kind of thing. And then they'd follow him together and, you know, any anyways, um. Didn't they, um, didn't they find out that he had paid for Joel's flying lessons or helicopter flying lessons and that he added them to his insurance, his health insurance? They did. So, so, um, Dana had promised to give Joel flying lessons. So he learned to fly helicopters and Dana paid for it. And, and I'm talking, this is like $500 an hour. So like Dana was like spending a lot of money on Joel. 
on Joel. And they're like, who does that for just a friend? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so, so anyways, so they, um, so they start suspecting Joel. And at that point, um, there was another name that came into the equation called Jack Ponce. Now Jack was friends with Joel and Jack was the one who purchased the firearm for Joel. So Joel probably paid Jack for this firearm. It went to Jack's name and then he gave the firearm to Joel. Now Jack swears that he had no idea what was going to happen. He had not, he just knew that he wanted a gun and he didn't want it registered to him. Okay. Right. So anyways, um, they finally figured out that Joel was the one that did it and Dana and they arrested, they arrested both of them on March 2nd, 1995. And it was um, the ballistics of the gun to the bullets that they had found. Didn't they drop the gun in the bottom of a ravine or something or a a shallow, wasn't shallow, but like a, a, a bed of, I don't know, something, but Jack led him to the gun. And when they did the ballistics of the gun to the bullets, they knew it was the gun. So they knew it was Joel. Yes. So the ballistics told it all the story, but it was, it it was from 1992 to 1995. So it was a cold case for a little bit, you know, and then, and then, yeah, that's when they found out. The detectives had done hours upon hours. It just totally consumed their lives because um, they really, I mean, they were so dedicated to it that it just took, they took everything to get justice for this, you know, this family. And they had, they literally said they had like, you know, the, how you buy the shelf paper, a rule of, of the timeline of, of it leading up to the arrest, uh, how everything just fit perfectly like a puzzle. And, um, you know, it definitely wasn't the perfect murder. Yes. He had the alibi, but definitely it, it just, it, it all fit together, but yeah. Um, it just became uh, what they sold two books on it. And how, how did you get to uh, stumble upon it when you told me, read this book? How okay. Did you stumble upon it? So, so when this happened, like I said, I felt a strong connection to Glee. Like, I don't know what it was, but I, I found that I felt this strong connection. And so I, I sympathized with her. I felt her pain. I w- it was really weird, you know? And, and, after hearing this story, I looked at Dana and I was like, you're a monster. Like, how could you, how could you kill your fan? How could you be the mastermind to murder your entire family? So I saw it on in 1995, 1996, it was still on my mind. And at that point I decided, um, I decided I was going to write him a letter and I just wanted to see if he was going to write me back, you know? So I wrote him a letter And I didn't say anything that I knew he was guilty. I didn't say I was really cordial. I just said I read it. I felt a very very strong connection to your mom, you know, and I was just very cordial. And, and he actually wrote me back. And at this point, I was like, whoa. And he, you know, he was very, his letter was very like friendly and he was very like everything that everybody had always said he was like, he was a friendly guy. He was an extrovert. He was, you know, very talkative, you know? And so I started this friendship with him and I never, ever told him that I felt that he was guilty. I never did. And the entire time, he always played the guy that was the victim. He always played the, oh, I lost my family. I miss them so much. You know, I, you know, when he, he was manipulating me, but on this, at the same time, I was manipulating him. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that the interest was, is that like, okay, let, let's see what this guy's about. You know, let's, let, let's see. Um, I mean, again, the fascination of being like, you know, what, how do, how does he work? I mean, how does one kill their family and their sister who didn't he say my sister was so beautiful and wonderful and I love, love him and I miss him. Yeah. You know, and, and they don't realize that half the time until it's done, you know, people, cause they do things and they don't think it through. But uh, again, it's like, who had to gain? Yeah. Joel could only get so much money off of him. You know, he wasn't going to give him, I mean, 
things only last, you know, so long, but it's Dana, the one that he, with all his, you know, his carelessness and all those texts and pagings and stuff that led them to, yeah. to know that it was him and, you know, manipulating. And he still honestly believes that because he didn't actually shoot the gun, yep. that he's not guilty like Manson. Yep. Go, he's, go kill these people. Go do it right this time. And, and, and it's sad that he took a guy like Joel who did it. Joel's, you know, the ultimate guilty one, but so was Dana. Dana was the mastermind, you know, but let me, let me get into a little bit about that too. Mm-hmm. So after I started talking to Dana, I took it upon myself to talk to Joel. Now, neither one of them knew that I was talking to each other. Right. So I, I got that. to, I got to be friends with Joel also. And Joel was this broken, this broken man who was complete opposite of Dana. And you could see just in his letters and in his like tone and, you know, everything, just how broken he was and that mentally he wasn't okay. Um, um, so Dana was convicted of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, and so was Joel. Okay, but for the death penalty, it was, oh gosh, it was like one person had said no for Dana. Yeah, it has to be 100%, huh? Yeah, when two had said no for Joel. And the reason is, is because they saw how broken Joel was also. Already, yeah. And that, not saying he was a victim, he did do something terrible. He killed three innocent people. But at the same time, Dana was able to manipulate Joel into doing his dirty work. Yeah, he sure did. And it's sad, you know, and then he has this, you know, this happy-go-lucky personality, intelligence, you know, and charm. And he takes someone like Joel and sees him walking a mile away saying, oh, this is the perfect person who I can do it do the dirty work, you know, get to do the dirty work. Um, whatever happened to their pills? I know, didn't they have appeals coming up? Yeah, but none of their pills have gone through. Like all of them have been denied and yeah. rightly, okay. rightly so. Right. Um, so I do have to tell you, so I ended my friendship with Dana. Um, you and told I told the truth that you guys were talking to. No. You didn't tell him? No, you told Joel though, right? I did tell Joel. So because I, I became friends with Joel, I did end up telling him that I was friends with Dana. And at that point he kind of freaked out and, and I'm not saying in like he freaked out because this was his co-defendant. You know what I mean? Like this was somebody who had got him into this mess, you know? So he he hated him, huh? I believe that they hate each other. I mean, I believe that Joel, I believe Joel hates Dana, but I don't, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just saying this. Yeah. Um, and so I, Joel asked me to cut off all communication with Dana and I did. I cut everything off because. Did, did Dana, what did Dana ever say? Did he ever ask why? No, no. no he stopped. He just, Dana, Dana just slowly, slowly stopped like the calls and the, and the letters and that, because he was saying that I was not having it anymore. And to this day, I've never told him any, I've never told him that like, I feel like, of course he was guilty. You did this just because you didn't pull the trigger does not mean you weren't a hundred percent guilty. You right. know? Um, yeah. and then eventually I, I realized that I needed to cut it off with Joel also. And this was years later. Um, and then I cut it off with Joel also. Yeah. I, and I, I too, I think I, I remember when you were going through that time, it was something, you know, that was very interesting, you know, to do and to, you know, the fascination of it to be like, wow, you know, they're definitely notorious. They're not good guys, you know, right. but I think it kind of consumed you know, uh, a part of, uh, you know, the fascination of being like, oh, you know, I really want to get to know why, you know, what these people are about, why they would do this. And I think we had discussed before, you know, kind of came to a conclusion 
you know, even without all this whole story, you know, if we had never heard of all this stuff, you could see it like coming a mile away, you know, you could just see that, um, you know, who the manipulator was. Cause you know, you, you met him both and you know, clearly, especially after meeting Joel, that it was Dana, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, so I visited Dana like every Saturday for years in, in jail or in prison. Yeah. And it's very common for a lot of those, those men in, uh, in prison to have pen pals yeah. and to have women, you know, especially women come to visit them. Um, and you know, Dana's kind of, I guess you could say notorious kind of famous because he had books and stories written about him and, and so there's, you know, the people that, you know, fan fanfare that comes in, but they manipulate a lot of times in a sense, you know, I know you said you were manipulating, but they manipulate them for, even if it's just food, photos, magazine subscriptions, um, you know, they, they do that. And then when they get out, they have somewhere, somewhere to go, you know, if they get out. You know, right, right. Go. So they have lots of time, especially with a life sentence to make the time pass. And what better way than a pen pal, especially one who's very dedicated, but, um, and I know firsthand because I have family in prison, you know, and they, they call me and manipulate, try to manipulate me. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because they'll be like, Hey, auntie, can you make a cake? Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? You know? So it's just funny. Like, what can you do for me? Can you send me this? Can you give me this? You know? So it's, it's all a game, but I think like anything else, it, it just kind of draws you in a little bit. And then after some point, it just kind of like, mm, okay, these are, these are people who are going to have to live a whole lifetime meeting people in and out of their lives. And, um, it, it's just sad because those choices that they don't think ahead, just like Joel, yes, he was manipulated, but he, what he did was bad. He, yeah. what we, he did was bad. He's where he deserves to be. Right. And it's just unfortunate that he was that weak minded to let greed and, you know, his past, um, you know, consume him into being like, oh, this will be easy, you know, and um, not thinking that the consequences and youth and immaturity will do that as well. But it's just so sad to, like, I, you know, I had mentioned before previously that I've been on juries to see someone commit a crime 18, 20, 20 before, you know, their 25th birthday and know that they had a whole life ahead of them. But his sister never got to get married, you know, right. uh, he never got to have children. And now he won't be able to either. Right. As he doesn't, he should not deserve, you know. Um, but you know, technically I think he can get married in there. Didn't Manson get married a couple times? Yeah. Like they can, they can get married like in there. They have to have like a prison wedding. So I found out a lot about like how the prison system works, like, you know, in <laughs> California, like, right. you know, like what you can and can't do what you can and can't wear. Um, because I visited him so often I even remember, so he, he's in the protective housing unit and, um, I remember that I was sitting there and it's not behind glass. So I am like in there in a room, visiting room with him and we're at a table so we can touch each other. I can hug him. Like, you know, just like whatever, you know? Um, and there's a whole bunch of other people in there. I remember one time when there was a guy across, sitting across from me. I think I told you the story. There was a guy sitting across from me and I was like, he looks funny. Like what's going on with his eye? <laughs> and so I asked him, I go, what's going on with that guy's eye? And he looks over at him and he, he looked at me like with this crazy face. And he's like, you don't know who that is. And I was like, no. And he said that was, Oh no, I'm forgetting the name. Oh shoot. Hold on. Like, I have to look it up. Was it, was it, um, it was another infamous person, right? Yes. Hold okay, on. Was it, it wasn't a Menez. It was it Sirhan Sirhan. Was it, um, yes, it was. It was Sirhan okay. Sirhan. Okay. Sorry. That's who it was. I was like, who is that? Because, and he goes, you don't know who that is. And I was like, no. And he goes, that's Sirhan Sirhan. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so for he those had a of you, <laughs> yeah, he had a visitor. And for those of you that don't know who that is, he was the one that attempted um, to kill or actually he did kill um, um, Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah, the brother. Yeah, the brother um, yeah. at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He went up and shot him. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, they had. Uh, let me see. It was Corcoran Prison had Manson, him. 
they have quite a few of uh, infamous people in the shoe. And that's where uh, Dana was at, too, in the shoe. Right. And Manson had been there also. And he's a little dude. He's like, he was little, you know? So, like, so I've seen a bunch of people, like crazy people. Then when I was visiting Joel at another prison, um, I saw this guy walk in. And he was a very handsome guy. And I noticed, I was like, wow, he's handsome. And then I realized who it was. That was Lyle Menendez. Yeah, he's he's the, the handsome one. Yeah, he's a, yeah, out of the brothers, Lyle was a handsome one. Yeah. And I think I remember he had some kind of a letter that he was trying to um, okay. raise money for an association. And you put it in my stocking for Christmas. I did. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you this story. Okay. So as I'm visiting Joel, so... Joel was kind of in the same situation where, you know, there was like a room and you can like sit down at the table with them, you know? Well, anyways, so I was uh, sitting at the table with them and after like talking for like a couple hours, like I was like, Hey, do you want to go to the vending machines and get something to eat? And he was like, yeah, let's go. So we walk up to the vending machines and as I walk up, I'm in direct sight of Lyle. Okay. And Lyle, is with his girlfriend or wife at the time. And he like, he elbows her. Hey, 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 let's go to the vending machine. And I can see him doing this. And I'm like, and I looked cute. I was wearing a skirt. I had my hair done. I had my lashes done, you know, like, like I just looked really cute. Right. Mm -hmm. So Lyle walks up to me and Joel and he goes, Joel, who's your friend? And while he's saying this, he's looking directly at me. So he's not like looking at Joel asking, who's your friend? He's looking right. at me saying, Joel, who's your friend? It was really intimidating. I was like, hi, Lyle, because I knew who he was. So I said, hi. And then I introduced myself and he goes, yeah, this is my friend. And then we chatted for a minute and then we went and sat down. But it was really weird. Yeah, he wanted to uh, see who you were. Also knowing that, you know, uh, Joel was kind of uh, infamous like he was and I'm sure he was sharing his story you know right so right interesting so yeah I've had several experiences with this case and you know I don't know I it, it's in my past I don't really talk about it <laughs> like, <laughs> well it's interesting and I think I know when you when you had mentioned to me you're like why did I ever like make contact with these you know these people who were like that and I think like anything else you know it definitely is something to pass the time and and to the fascination of it all and eventually those things do die out um because you know you can only get so far with you know uh you know a true relationship with you know uh the mentally you know unstable uh you know unstableness of them both and I think even though that Dana gives the appearance that he's more mentally stable on the outside he is not obviously dead for him Mm-mm. to have the thoughts of the greed that overtook him and it's just sad because uh, his parents were neat people and they said his dad was strict and did not like him you know his name being tossed around like it was his money or whatever him taking the credit he wanted him to be self-made and get an education and make his own money and help him along the way but it could definitely you know he became a overprivileged um, child Right. It's sad that he's a, uh, you know, a product of that, but um, not to say they're all like that, but, um, you know, in any typical murder case, they always point to who has to gain. And it was the old, you know, you know, tell story, but you were a piece of that history. And um, it was so funny. I see that and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, um, you know, one of my coworkers, she, you know, she knew him or she met him and they were like, oh my gosh, why? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it, I think at the time I just, I had this, I felt this connection to his mom and, uh, mm-hmm. and I was just curious at that point, you know, and that's yeah, why I reached out and, yeah. you know, and, and I'm glad that's a part of my past now. I'm glad I don't, I haven't thought about that until we talked about it in the last well, episode. And also you learned, like you learned things, you learned about the prison system. You right. Know, you said that's something you learned from, um, you, you know, you got to kind of look in on the inside of what it actually is to talk to someone who is a cold-blooded killer, Yeah. you know, and to, to, you know, meet a master manipulator. But again, the manipulators can be manipulated, like you said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I just remember the, you know, the, the, you know, the letters that you would write to them and, and, you know, words of encouragement and friendship at the time that, 
you know, is probably more than they deserved. And, um, you know, but they do always have, um, you know, plenty of, of, uh, trust me, they have plenty of pen pals. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, you know, I, for their case, they're, you know, I'm sure they're writing all kinds of people and that's fine. You know, like I wish them well, I don't wish bad things to happen to them. I don't wish anything. I don't, you know, and it was really strange because I just thought, it just popped in my head right now. Um, I had a couple of incidents where I was reading the book and I remember falling asleep. Um, I I had finished the book. I fell asleep and the TV was on and I dreamt that you were marrying Dana Yule. You were oh, geez. Walking, yeah. You were walking down the aisle, like, <laughs> you know, and you were going to marry him. And it, it was like <laughs> army barracks. They were like bunk beds. You know, no, where, thank you. And you're walking down the aisle because you would, you were like, you're, you know, like, I'm never going to get married. And, and you know, I'm out, and I go, you're going to meet someone day. And I go, oh my gosh, Olivia, guess what? You're going to marry Dana. You'll, I married you. I mean, I, I, I dreamt it. And you're like, no way. I go, no, it's just a dream. But it was so weird because I remember dreaming that. And then all of a sudden I wake up and I hear Bill Curtis's voice. And it was about three o'clock in the morning and the show came on. It was so weird. It was so bizarre. I was like, no freaking way. And, was, and I, I remember coming to work and telling you, guess what? Guess what? You're not going to believe what happened. I turned on the TV about three o'clock in the morning and Bill Curtis was on telling his story. Cause all of a sudden I saw the fields of Fresno. And then all of a sudden I was like, uh, what, what's this? And then when they talked about, uh, Dale and Glee, I was like, oh, no freaking way. I just had a dream right now, you know? So, but oh yeah, my gosh, well, like, Amy, that yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> no, but thank out, you but, yeah. for <laughs> for thinking of me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how the army barracks came into it, but it was just, I don't know. But you dreams know, you dreams. can't control your dreams. I've had weird dreams like that too, yeah, like, but, the, the but not, of, of not like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the chances of it, you know, waking up to that show, right? You know, right. TV, I never fall asleep with my TV on hardly. And it just so happened I, I did, you know, so it was just very bizarre. But anyhow, I think I was just kind of, you know, um, fascinated too at the same time. But that letter from Lyle Meninis, um, the one that you put in my stocking, just threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a letter from Lyle Meninis to me in my stocking. <laughs> it was weird. People still don't believe it. They're just like, oh, my gosh, that's so weird. But um, I, I think to, you know, to have some experience and know that, you know, what's out there. You know, it's just, it's just crazy, you know? Yeah. But um, part of your past. Part of my past. (laughs) Part of my past. So. Crazy Olivia. I'm never doing that again. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. Well, that's the story. I hope everybody enjoyed that. And um, I guess we will talk to you all later. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The Pod Project is a small fire production. So find us on Facebook at the pod project 20 or on Instagram at the pod project.